Good morning, good morning, Rabbi Tai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Uh, the Lux Breakfast in the Class is dedicated in loving memory of Morris Sutton, Alava Shalom, Lunishmat Moshe Ben Adel, on his birthday, sponsored by his son Sammy Sutton. This is for yesterday. As well, Breakfast in the Class, sponsored by Corey and Mark Adjmi, dedicated in honor and in celebration of the birth of their grandson, and dedicated in loving memory of Victor Megidish, Alava Shalom, Lunishmat, Victor Ben Amos and Huta, sponsored by his sister Tamar Megidish. As well, Breakfast in the Class. And the week of Cobru, sponsored by David E. Ash, in honor of you and your substantial capacity to go today and every day. My friends, in the end of our parasha, we have what is perhaps one of the most interesting uh, concepts and uh, elements in, in, uh, in the Torah. And that is the parasha of uh, Sota. Now, the story of the Sota is actually quite different than what most people understand. And the aim of the sota, the story of the korbanot of the sota, and the water that she drinks, and the punishment that she gets, is actually very badly misunderstood. And uh, I just want to illustrate that by asking what I think is an obvious question. Why in the world, we're all familiar with the idea that it says that uh, unfortunately in a scenario of sota, it refers to a case of a, of a wife that's secluding herself with another man. She's uh, going into a place with him, with, you know, with the doors closed. Nobody knows what they're, what they're getting up to. It's not appropriate, obviously. Okay? The husband then comes and he, says, he does what's called in the Gemara, Kinui. He tells his wife, he says, what's going on over here? It's not really appropriate that you should be with this other person alone. Anyway, uh, after indicating that he, he suspects that maybe there's something untoward going on, so he says, please don't, uh, you know, effectively, please don't do that again. If she does it again, and again she's found alone with him, so it seems like there's some reason to suspect that something's going on. So the question that gets asked is they ask her if everything, uh, if, uh, if she's been, if she's done the right thing or not. If she says, you're right, you got me, I, I, you know, I made a mistake, then they don't give her the water, but, and she gets divorced. Uh, because she's admitting that that kind of, she's headed in another direction. However, However, if in a case where she's protesting her innocence and she says, no, 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 nothing happened, we're talking about blah, 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 then the waters of the sota come into play. Now, what's interesting is the Pasuk says, if nothing happened actually, then we know, they, we are told, that the waters of the sota, instead of bringing about punishment, actually brought her, um, she winds up becoming, giving, given a berachava, these waters. So, so to speak, if she did not have children up until this point, uh, she now has, is able to have children. If the children that she had were unwell or unhealthy up until this point, then they're healthy. If they're short, they're tall and strong, etc., 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 etc. Now, to me, that's a very strange thing. Because, again, in my eyes, what we're looking at here is a, something which is like a kilala, it's a curse. Now, if, if she did something inappropriate, i.e. seclude herself with this other man, but nothing more happened, so... That doesn't mean that she's deserving of berachot. It just means that she should not get the kilala. So why would this kilala suddenly turn into a bracha if she did the yichud, which was asur, which was her husband asked her not to do so? And yet at the same time, uh, we see that she gets a beracha from this kilala. The answer is, the waters of sota were never a kilala. The result uh, of, of the waters is such if someone deserves that punishment for what they've done and was unwilling to admit it, uh, and was demanding, or so to speak, uh, uh, standing up and saying that they want to take, drink these, uh, the waters, the ma'im ha'marim ha'ma'arerim. But at the same time, my friends, these bitter, these cursed waters, how do they bring bracha? So the answer is, these waters were never cursed. And in fact, we learn a very interesting lesson in the Pasuk, which takes us again very far away from the story of Sota, and into, <clears throat> into the story of 
uh, 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 an everyday marriage. The, the Gemara tells us that part of the process of the sota was they would take the pasuk, they would write the pasuk on a piece of the cloth, all the pasukim that we read in the Torah, and then they would scratch off the pasukim and erase it uh, into the water that she would, be, she would then drink. Included in that pasuk is the name of HaKadosh Baruch himself. And Borei Olam says, he says, I know that unfortunately there's, uh, there's uh, a fight between this husband and wife. I'm willing to have my name be erased if it will bring shalom between a husband and wife. He doesn't know how he could trust her anymore. He doesn't know how he's ever going to not, uh, not wonder in the back of his mind. Borei Olam says, I'll create a mechanism by which you don't have to wonder, where trust can be restored. And you know what? It's worth erasing my name. Now that's an Isur, by the way, from the Torah. You know that. Erasing the name of God is actually an Isur in the Torah. Very interesting machloket. Back in the day, when they used to have tapes, if someone was saying, Shema Yisrael, on a tape recorder, are you allowed to erase the tape and record over it? Is that considered Mechikat Hashem, erasing the name? If someone has a document on Word doc, and it says Yud Vavke on his Word doc, on his hard drive, is he allowed to wipe his hard drive or delete the document if he's deleting the name of God? Big machloket. And it depends, the core of the machloket depends on how you understand the concept of writing. Like, is something which is digitally stored or which is stored on the tape of uh, an old tape, is that considered a form of writing or not? Big machloket. In fact, the implications of that machloket stretched even further into other scenarios, like when people would be uh, walking on Shabbat in the old city. And the old city had, for, secure, for security reasons, they had these security cameras. So as soon as you would walk by, what would happen? The image of you would cross the screen, but not just in terms of the screen, it would be recorded on a tape. And there was a machloket at the time between Rav Eliashiv and Rav Shlomo Zaman Orbach. If you were allowed to walk in front of those cameras on Shabbat, because maybe it was ktiva, it was writing on Shabbat. Fascinating machloket. Again, built on the same concept, on the same question, how does one understand ktiva? But be that as it may, writing it down this way and erasing it is for sure asur. So how would they erase the name of God? And the answer is, the Chachamim says, God gives special dispensation. He says, for the sake of Shalom Bayit, erase my name, no problem. My friends, I just want to go into this, uh, into this concept for one minute. The Gemara tells us that there was uh, a certain woman that came to the classes of Rabbi Meir. Her husband gets very upset, so Friday night, uh, he, sees, uh, he sees the wife and she's crying, the rabbi. He says, what's the matter? And she says to him, the rabbi, my husband got angry at me. You know, and he said to me, he's not letting me back in the house unless I spit in the face of Rabbi Meir seven times. She says, I don't know what to do. I can never spit in the rabbi's face. But on the other hand, I'm not kidding. My husband's not letting me in. The rabbi said, that's amazing what just happened. Amazing, fantastic. He says, you spit in my eye. He goes, my eye, unfortunately, I have problems seeing. He says, but I know that the way that it gets better is if someone spits in your eye. So you'll help me and I'll help you. You'll be able to get back in your house. She spits in his eye seven times, comes home to the husband. She's like, done. <laughs> I spit in the rabbi's face seven times. Just to be clear to everyone in the community, I have no problems with my eyes. No one should spit in my face. All right. They asked Rabbi Meir. They said to him, how could you allow someone to do this to you? Right? Does, doesn't befit the honor of a Talmud Chacham. 
Rabbi Meir said, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if God Himself could allow for His name to be erased, then surely I also could forgive on my kavod for the sake of Shalom Bayit. How beautiful is that? Hashem is like, yes, erase my name. Rabbi Meir, spit in my face, no problem. Right? And we're all sitting here nodding. Yes, Shalom Bayit, very important rabbi. Hazau <laughs> Baruch. Y'all know where I'm going with this. It's easier for us to nod our head and say, yes, 100%. That's the right thing, Rabbi Meir. You should let someone spit in your face. Shalom Bayit. Yes, Hashem, 100%. God, you're amazing. Erase your name for the sake of Shalom Bayit. What are we willing to do for the sake of our own Shalom Bayit? Ay, ay, ay. She said this to me. She did that kind of respect. Is it respect to erase God's name? Did she spit in your face seven times? She didn't. I mean, if she did, you have other problems. My friends, what a powerful idea. What a powerful idea. How great Shalom Bayit is. How important it is. How the greatest Chachamim, how HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself, are willing to be humbled in order to do so. My friends, I want to share what I think is a powerful idea. And I'd like to say that what Rabbi Meir did was beautiful, but it doesn't come close to what God did. He was learning a Kalvachomer from God because God is greater than he. And that's a one part of the Kalvachomer. So you're familiar with what Kalvachomer means, everybody? Kalvachomer means a how much more so. So as an example, let's say you have a rabbi, spent uh, 50 years of his life learning, he probably knows Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad by heart. Right? You have a regular guy in the shul. He went to Jewish school for two years. He knows Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad. Kavachom would be, if someone comes in and says, you know, I know this guy who went to Yeshiva for two years. He knows Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad. Do you think the guy who spent 50 years learning knows it by heart? Kavachomer. 25 times more than education. So something which is kal, which is light, and something which is chamur, which is uh, heavy, right? So if it's there in the light, it's there for sure in the heavy. That's a kal It's one of the mechanisms by which we learn the Torah. One of the 13 ways that Torah nidreshit bahem that we read from Rabbi Ishmael. Okay? Kal So Rabbi Meir says kal vachomer. Kal vachomer, you should spit in my face if they erase God's name. And what's the kal God is heavy. I'm lighter than God. So if it's true about God, it's true about me. But what's interesting to me as well is that not only is it more chamur uh, what happened with God because God is greater, but it's also more chamur what happened with God because the action is much greater. Spinning in your face, you still exist. Erasing someone's name, you're completely uh, wiping the person out. The, the, the person's self is erased, eradicated. Especially when you're talking about someone like God, whose existence in the world is his name. If I try and show, point you and say, There's where, that's where God is, where would I point? I point at the name of God. The erasure of God's name is, is an erasure of self in a certain sense. So my friends, what we're seeing with Borei Olam is incredible. And I think that that is perhaps a more relevant lesson to learn than Rabbi Meir. Because again, for us, spitting in the face doesn't happen, also doesn't help. But the erasing of a name. Oh, my friends. Most of the times people fight, what is it about? Ego. 
It's about honor. It's about how dare you treat me this way. I'm better than this. I deserve more than this. I'm more important than this. You know how they treat me at work? You know what my friends think of me? You know who, was, you know who wanted to date me before I made the mistake of marrying you? That's what they're thinking they didn't say it, right? In all these scenarios, what causes the person to go so, get so upset is their kavod. They're standing up for their name. They're demanding respect for their name. And what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is communicating is that for the sake of Shalom Bayit, it's worth stepping away. It's worth doing something else. Now I want to share with you one other story with Rabbi Meir Balanes. Rabbi Meir. Unbelievable. Ready? There was a couple that was fighting. That Rabbi Meir heard about the fact that they're fighting. Unfortunately, it wasn't only Rabbi Meir that heard. It was anyone that walked down their block. <laughs> Rabbi Meir knocks on the door one day. He says, you know, I really would like to come to your house for Shabbat. Every Shabbat, the screaming and the yelling, Rabbi Meir says, I really would like, if there's any way you could host me for Shabbat, that would be such a kindness. Rabbi Meir wants to stay, no problem. They open the door very wide. They set a nice bed for him. They make the nicest meal they can. All Shabbat, oh, they will get the rabbi, has the rabbi, you know, ta-ta-ta-ta-ta, quiet. Next week, the rabbi knocks on the door again. He says, is there any way I could come to your house for Shabbat? Sure, of course, rabbi. Second week. What happens the third week? Three weeks in a row, rabbi comes, stays Shabbat. Listen to this in the Gemara. The Gemara says, Ubi Motzei Shabbat, on the third Motzei Shabbat, Yatsa HaSatan Mibetam, the Satan left their home. The evil inclination left their home. Vitsaak, and the, the Malach HaMavet, the Satan, the Yetzirah, the Gemara tells us the same Malach, screamed, Oi Li, woe is to me. Shehotzi Oti Rabbi Meir, Mibayitzeh. Rabbi Meir pulled me out of this house. You know what's interesting to me? I looked in Rashi. I looked in Tosafot. I looked in the Maharsha. I looked in the commentators. And I wanted to hear, which seminar did Rabbi Meir give over on Shabbat afternoon to this couple? Which Dvar Torah did he say? Which story? What did he promise them? Which Biracha did he give? And you know what they all say? <laughs> Nothing. It doesn't say that he told them anything. It doesn't say that he did anything. It doesn't say that he came with his wife and he said to his wife numerous times, Hey, Rochi, how are you, sweetheart? How's everything? That he modeled good behavior. It doesn't say it. It doesn't say it. What does it say? That Rabbi Meir came for Shabbat. That they didn't argue on Shabbat. I want to share with you a secret. You know what the secret to not arguing sometimes is? Not arguing. You know what the secret to not yelling at each other is sometimes? Not yelling at each other. Not once, not twice, three times. Everything in the Torah, where you're trying to find some level of stability, it's three times. Hold your tongue three times. Now I'm sure there's going to be men and women that listen to this recording and say, three times, Rabbi, I held it 300 times. You know what my response would be? Stop counting. <laughs> Stop counting. Rabbi Meir did not come to them and say, I'm coming for three weeks in a row. He came one week, 
Then he came another week. Then he came another week. They didn't sit there waiting and saying, if I just keep my mouth shut one more time, three times is the charm, chalas, it's over. Because then you're not actually keeping quiet because you're investing in the relationship. You're not keeping quiet because you're remembering why you love that person. You're not keeping quiet because you're trying to understand maybe they're going through something very difficult. You're keeping quiet because you're keeping count. Sometimes the secret to not arguing is not arguing. To the point where the Yetzirah eventually looks and says, it's the law of diminishing returns. If I leave Rabbi Fahi's house, he's not arguing with his wife this, uh, you know, this week, next week, next third week. I'm, I'm saying I hope. Eventually the Yetzirah says, let me go to that guy's house. You know, let me go somewhere else. Let me try somewhere else. I'm going to waste my time over here. There's, <clears throat> there's a very strange Gemara. The Gemara tells us about Rabbi Hiyah. Rabbi Hiyah, his wife, she won the worst wife of the year award. It wasn't given by her husband, it was given by everybody else. Legit, the worst wife. Screaming, yelling, negative, cynical, cursing him out the whole time. She caused him a lot of pain. The Gemara says he would go out to the marketplace and he would buy her a gift and he would wrap up the gift and he would bring these gifts to his wife. Rav asks Rav Chia, now you know it's bad when the other rabbis are making comments to you. Rav says to Rav Chia, why are you giving her matanot? She's, she's, causing, she's causing you pain. She's hurting you all the time. She's screaming at you, yelling at you. Rabbi Chia said, Dayenu. It is enough. She's raising my children. She's raising the kids well. And as well, she saves me from sin. You know, I, I have someone that I'm with. I don't need to think about, you know, other things, other people, other women. Now, you look at this and you think to yourself, come on, Rabbi Chia. You're Rabbi Chia. You can do much better for yourself. What, Dayenu, it's enough that you're getting the bare minimum? That was his answer to Rav, why he goes and gets a presence? I think that that's not what the Gemara means. I think what the Gemara means is that Rav Chia was teaching Rav a tremendous lesson about Shalom Bayit. He says, you know what, when things aren't great at home, I could scream, I could yell, because this is not how I like it, and that's not how I like it, and this is, I'd rather this way, and I don't you hear, and I only ask, and ba ba ba. Or, a person could start, Rav Chia says, with a very different perspective, and that is, if I could find someone that would raise my children, would I ever be able to do enough for that person for the fact that they gave me a family? If you knew that to save your family, to build your family would cost you whatever the cost is, is there an amount of money that would not be worthwhile for that? Is there an amount of effort that would not be worthwhile for that? Matzilot otanamenachet, same thing. Rabbi Chiyas starts with the principle. The things that I'm getting, how valuable are they? And you know what? If there's other things that upset me, okay. 
But I still have to be grateful for all the things that they do do. I remember once I had a man sitting in my office. The man said, look, Rabbi, I don't know what to say. I'm blessed. I'm going to say, starts the conversation. I always know that that's not the end of the conversation. No one comes to the office to tell you, Rabbi, I just want you to know I'm blessed. <laughs> that has not happened yet. I'm sure someone's going to do it now to be a wise guy. But the point is, right? Rabbi, I'm blessed. My wife is this, and she's great, and she's an amazing cook, fantastic mother. She's, you know, she, this, she treats me like king. Da, 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 da. She's beautiful. She's great. Da, da. 20 minutes, had that singing. I'm getting out my violin. All the pesukim. He goes, but what can I tell you, Rabbi? I don't know. I don't love her. I said, you don't love her because you don't know what love is. You're just sitting here for 20 minutes telling me all the reasons why you should love her. But I don't love her. He's like, Rabbi, no, no, on paper it all makes sense. I was like, what? I said, does she make you nice food on paper? Does she raise the children on paper? Is that what she does? Right? Does she treat you with respect? Is she beautiful on paper? That's all real life. If you don't understand what love is, it's possible to have a wife or a husband that does everything right, that gives you everything, and you still don't love them. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. Why? You have no idea what love is. We are poisoned, my friends. We have been poisoned by society. A society that tells us that love is this other thing that you either feel or don't feel. That's how, that's what love is. Either feel it, you don't feel it. Rabbi, I don't have to tell, I don't have to tell you, Rabbi. On paper, I don't want to love her. If you're waiting for some fireworks to go off to let you know, ta-da, you're in love, you're right. Then. But if that's not what love is, if love stems from a deep appreciation for what a person is, for the good things that they do, for the value that they bring into your home, then there's no such possibility of a person being good on paper. It doesn't, that, that possibility doesn't exist. Surah Bihiyah is telling Rav, it's true. She yells, she does this, maybe she doesn't do exactly like this or like that, but you know what? The amount of hakarat tov I have to her for the fact that she's raising my sons in the right way, you know what I always found really interesting? We have this conversation here with Rabbi Hayah, right? And we hear about Rabbi Hayah and his tyrant wife, okay? The wife that Rav says, why are you buying her presents? There's another Gemara about Rabbi Hayah. I don't know if anyone remembers this Gemara. The Gemara is a Gemara in Ta'anit. Rabbi, you remember the Gemara? It's not raining. So they call, who, do they, who are you going to call? Not the Ghostbusters. They don't do rain. Right? Who do they call? Rabbi, can you tell us? Who gets called? Not Rabbi Khanina Dosa, the other Gemara. Rabbi Chia comes with his sons, right? Is that correct? 
him and his sons come to the shul and they're praying. And as they're praying, says the Gemara, everything that they're saying is Mashiv Aruach. Murita Geshev. All of a sudden, in Shamayim, they're going Majnun. Because in two seconds, they're going to get up to Mechayah Metim. And then the whole story of the world's over, and then Mashiach is here. So they send something to disrupt Rabbi Chia and his sons. Okay? Now let's come back to this Gemara. What does Rabbi Chia say to Rav? You know why I'm buying a presence? You know why I treat it with such respect? Because Dayenu, it is enough. That she raises our sons. What kind of sons did this woman raise? And let me ask you a better question. Is it possible that a terrible woman raised such amazing sons? One answer is, she didn't raise them. He raised them because he was so amazing. But that's not what he says. He says, In my mind, I have a different image of the wife of Rabbi Hayah. She's not a rishanta. She's not a, a screaming person. She's a perfectionist. I think that's the Pshat in the Gemara. She was a perfectionist. Everything needed to be done exactly right. So what happens if you don't get everything exactly right? Living with a perfectionist is the most unperfect thing in the world. Isn't it? You can never fold your socks right enough. You know, you live with a perfectionist, you don't throw your clothes in the laundry basket. You fold your clothes and then you put them in the laundry basket. Right? You live with a perfectionist, you can't have toast in your house. There might be crumbs. I remember someone, a long time ago, I remember someone that had uh, an issue with any crummy food in their house. Why? Because the floor, the marble floor in the house was kind of like a speckled brown. And this woman, you know, she was such a perfectionist, she, she couldn't see crumbs if it fell on the floor. So therefore, no crumbly item was ever allowed in the home. Living with a perfectionist would be very difficult. But that doesn't make them a bad person. It just means that you're going to have a giant portion in Gan Eden. <laughs> Which ironically will be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you just imagine him up there in Shaman, you know, eating like flaky dough and it makes no crumbs because it's Ganeden. <laughs> That's the Pshat. Rabbi Chaya says, Dayenu, how lucky we are enough. She make it. Look at how, look at what, how she raises my children. Who has kids like me? When they need someone to pray to bring the rain, who do they call to make it rain? Me and my kids. Is that not worth everything in the world? So we have to learn from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. To allow our names to be a little bit smudged. To be a little bit erased. So you're not Shlomo in the house. You know, everything is ready. They, you walk in, they give you your drink, they take off your shoes, right? No. If we learn from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if we choose to recognize and to make sure that we understand the value that they bring, and then we choose to focus on the value that our wives, that our husbands, that our children bring into our home. You know, someone said to me once, Rabbi, all these kids, it's very difficult. I said, 100%, I hear you. I know it's so difficult having all these kids and giving them all this love. I said, so give me one of them. I know a couple, they're desperate to adopt children. It's true, by the way. If anyone knows of a case of a Jewish baby, Jewish child, I know a couple desperate to adopt a Jewish, Jewish child. 
I said, so give me one. Do you know which one, which one you want to give me? As a joke, your mind just went to your most difficult child. But if I actually ask you to turn him or her over, give away, who's giving away a kid? <clears throat> it's something else sometimes when there's severe disabilities, the parents are incapable of, of, t- of taking care of the child. They need help. They need to put the child in a home. Something else. Imagine one of your kids, difficult kid. Rabbi, here you go. <laughs> you got empty the Bikur Cholim box. You got lots of clothes and one child, right? That's never happened. When you recognize what joy that child brings to your life, even with all the difficulties. And ironically, a lot of times the ones that bring you the most difficulties are the ones that bring you the most joy. When you recognize how much a person does, how hard they work, you know, then you shift your focus. How many times has a woman with so much jewelry said to her husband, you know, you're never home. And, and if you look at her wrist, <laughs> you'll know why he's never home. How that needs to work nonstop to support the lifestyle. Yes? You shift, your, you shift your perspective a little bit. Your wife tells you in response, I don't need the extra vacation. I'd rather you were home. So shift your response. Stop working so hard. Stop bringing so much home. Be more present. Listen carefully to what people need. That's what drives real ahava, drives true love. Hashem should bless us to be able to build beautiful homes. Hashem should bless us, Be'ezat Hashem, to walk into our homes with a little humility. Knock on your door before you walk in, take a deep breath, and don't think that you're God's gift to mankind. Walk in the door prepared to be helpful, you know, to, uh, to your wife, etc., etc. And then Be'ezat Hashem will be zocher, to be partners with Borei Olam in the greatest uh, a gift in the greatest and most wonderful thing to do in the world where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is even willing to allow his name to be erased for the sake of Shalom Bayit. Uh, Shabbat Shalom. Rabbi